So I didn't prepare for that shit, but if you have five minutes, I could tell you something on last week's parasha. Say whatever you want. Whatever you teach us is wonderful. Okay, so I am set up here. Host is not in the meeting. I'm the host. You're the host, Chaya, Sarah. You can say everything you're supposed to say. All right. So, so let's that we're just coming off is Prasha Kitavo. So, okay, people are calling me. Who is this? Mom sent a voicemail. So, we're coming off Prasha Kitavo, the first uh, mitzvah in this week's last week's Prasha talked about the Bikurim. That was when the Jews entered Eretz Israel, they the first fruit that, that got planted that came out, they put in a basket, they brought to Yerushalayim with big, big fanfare. It was a big event. And it was a, they have to say a lot of things when they, when they get to the Bet HaMikdash. First, they talk about Lavan. They say we come from Lavan and we left Mitzrayim. And now we're in Eretz Israel and we plant fruit and we brought it to God. So the Nitivot Shalom, which was the uh, Slanim Rebbe. He asked a question. He said, there's a Midrash that says that because of this Mitzvah Bikurim, the Jews entered the land of, uh, of, of, entered the land of Eretz Israel. So he's very bothered, the rabbi. I'm guessing people hear me. I don't know why people are texting me. Anyone hear me? Yeah. Yes, we all hear you. Yes. 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 Didn't know you no problem. Okay. So I don't worry. You're... I texted your mother. You're all good. Good. So the rabbi is asking, uh, first of all, they didn't start bringing Bikurim until 14 years after they settled in the land because they had to divvy up the land until they started the growth. And the till Bikurim, the Mitzvah Bikurim, uh, started with the people it was 14 years in so how could you tell me that they didn't enter the land only because this was bikurim it doesn't make sense also he asks that what's so special about bikurim there's so many mitzvot that had to do with the with the land of israel they had to give maaser ishon maaser sheni maaser levi a bunch of maasers that were much more quantity amount of stuff more than bikurim bikurim was just the first fruit it was very minimal item to give so why, what's so special about Bikurim that all of a sudden Bikurim, oh, the, 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 the fanfare, people came from the streets and they, it was a big event. They, they, the people lined the streets to give the guy credit for giving Bikurim. What's the big idea of this Bikurim that it was such a big thing in, in, the, in, the, times of the, in the times that the Jews used to bring it? That's what the rabbis bothered about. So to answer this, he says that in Yehadut, in Judaism, there's two very important aspects in a Jew's life. One is called Imunah. Imunah is the belief that everything comes from God. And even if we feel like we're doing it and we're, we're the ones strategizing to make up the plans and we're, we're doing the work, it's still God that's giving us the Parnassah. And the second thing is Kedusha. What's the problem? Kedusha means anytime we abstain from giving in, giving into our desires that's called and we refrain because god told us to whatever it is that we're not allowed to indulge in that's called kedusha so the rabbi says in the times of the midbar the people these two things came came very easy to the people kedusha and emuna in bitachon and hashem why because the in the times of the Midbar, no one really worked. No one toiled in a job. Whatever sustenance they needed came straight from God to their doorstep. It was in, in the form of the man. So it wasn't so much that they, they it wasn't hard to have imuna those days. They just, whatever they needed, God gave them. And when it came to Kiddushah, since they were eating food that was given to them from God that had no really, it didn't c come from the earth. So... It, they, they were, they were, it didn't give them, a lot, they didn't have a lot of tavot. They didn't have a lot of inclination to go after their desires because the food which sustains them didn't come from the earth, came from God himself. So when it came to these two items of imunah and kiddushah, 
in the tongues of the Midbar, it was very easy for them. So all of a sudden, when God tells them they have to enter Eretz Israel, they became very scared. They said, now we're going to have to work for ourselves. We're going to be putting in the work and we're going to probably attribute it to ourselves because we don't see it anymore given straight from God at our doorsteps. And also, if we're going to eat food that comes from this world, that we're going to start having inclination like regular people again. If you remember, there's a pasuk by Mitzrayim. It says, not by Mitzrayim. When they were in the Midbar, there was people, the, 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 the bad people in the, of the group. They, it says in the pasuk, they said they wanted meat. And the pasuk says, Let's get the exact words. Something like that. It says they craved a craving. So the rabbi explains what does that mean? It means that the people wanted, they were complaining they want meat because they remember in the times of Egypt that they, they were such people of desire and all of a sudden because they're eating the man, they, they're losing the ta'avot of this world. So they wanted meat because they, want, they were craving the ability to crave Averot. So he's just proving how the man tempered them regarding this, this item. What time is it? Okay, it's not too late. So when they entered the land, they were getting very scared. They said, now what's going to protect us from these two things that we were very strong in all these years? So Hashem said, don't worry. Guys, you have to you mute your phone. It's okay. So Hashem said, I'm going to give you something which is going to let you stay on the level you were on the whole time during the mitzvah. I'm going to give you a mitzvah bikurim. Now, how does the mitzvah bikurim do anything for these people? Because once they entered the land, they, everyone started strategizing. How am I going to make a field? How am I going to make profit from the field? I'm going to sell the fruits. I'm going to, uh, once I plant the crop, how am I going to water the crop, the irrigation? But finally, at the end of the year, when it finally started to bud and they started to see fruit, the rabbi said, the first fruit which you really want to attribute to yourself now. And you say, I did this. The whole year of working, that's, that's, that's my work. And they say, wrap a string around it and give it to God to remind the person of that all the whole years of work was just your hishtad loop. was just your, what God wanted you to do. But ultimately, it was him giving you the panasa. So Bikurim had this amazing uh, thing to it that the first fruit, which really a person, that's all his work. He's able to see in the first fruit. Hashem says, give it straight to God. Because now that's going to get you to have the imunah that you had in the midbar that you, that you were scared of losing. Also, what's the most powerful thing that a person craves more than anything in the world? Something that he toiled for. Now he finally gets it. Person's toiling for it the whole year, finally get his fruit. And now some a luscious fruit comes out of the, the, the tree. The person's running to it. That's all he, there's nothing more passionate that he wants in this world more than the fruit he, he toiled the whole year for. And Hashem says, you can't have it. Bring that to the Beit HaMikdash, it's not for you. So it, was, it tempered also his ta'avot that he had. So this mitzvah bikurim is very, uh, very important for the Jews to have in those times so they don't fall from the levels that they got in the midbar. This imunah factor that the first fruit already is attributed to God to say that the, it wasn't their work that got them to where they are. It was God ultimately. And also to, to temper their, their uh, inclination by saying, even though you want that first fruit so much, you can't have it. So the rabbi goes on to explain that's why Bikurim was so important more than the other mitzvot that had to do with the land. Because this first fruit had the ability to bring the people that moved into Eretz Israel back to the level they were in the times of the Mizbah. Okay, we'll stop here. I think let's get underway. We're learning for Hayas Arabat Simcha. And we're in the Nikparasha. Where was I last night? Oh, last night I was I was on a train. I couldn't do it. I was in Baltimore. But tonight I just finished the Dirash and I'm able to do it. Well, let's see where we are. But I'm glad that my son Yosef was able to fill in. As they say in Hollywood, the show must go on. All right, so now we're up to Nitzavim. We're learning for Hayasara Batsamha for Shinema. And we start. It's a short parasha. Uh, maybe 40 pesukim, that's it. You are standing in front of Hashem, all of you, your uh, leaders, 
שבטיכם, tribes, שבטיכם, the elders, שבטיכם, the officers, כל איש ישראל. So, this is referring to over here that Moshe Rabbeinu, before he dies, he gathers all the Jewish people in order to make a, a, a covenant with them, a brit. And it says, he brought the leaders of the tribes, Rashechem, Shiftechem, as she says, it means the leaders of the tribes. Zeknechem, Bishotrechem, uh, it's an order of importance. The Zekinim, the elders, are more important than the officers, and then B'nai Israel are at the end. The next pasuk says, Tapechem, he also brought the children, Neshechem, the converts, means he also brought the wood choppers. We'll see who those people are, and the water drawers. So that she writes that um, we know that there was a story in the times of Yoshua that a nation called the Givonim tricked Yoshua uh, into making him think that they came from a far off place. And he made a peace treaty with them only to find out that they were actually inhabitants of the land of Canaan and they should have uh, been killed. But they tricked Yoshua to say that they came from a far place and therefore Yoshua ultimately uh, turned them into slaves. The same thing happened in the times of Moshe, that the Canaanim came uh, uh, to convert. In the times of Moshe, like the Givonim came in the times of Yoshua and uh, Moshe Rabbeinu made these people also, these Kena'anim, instead of killing them, he made them uh, water drawers uh, and wood choppers. And they were not allowed to marry into Bnei Yisrael. Uh, in order to pass them into the covenant of Hashem, the olden days when they used to make a Brit, <coughs> they used to um, make a wall on one side and on the side, and then the person would walk through it. So they would have a, a covenant on, uh, that's the way they would make uh, Brit. Okay. And uh, that's what says, to pass through the, uh, the Brit. Now, that is the simple interpretation of the, of the Pesukim over here. However, as she brings down that this Pasuk uh, has also uh, a Dirashah that's very, very important. Remember last week's Pirasha, we learned about the curses. We, we, we didn't get to it last week in our Pirasha class, but 98 curses, can you believe it? Really gory stuff. Uh, you know, rough, rough, rough stuff. Not, not, not good at all. And uh, after B'nai Israel got the 98 curses, and that's besides the 49 curses in the book of Vayikra, Pirasha, Behokotai. So the people... Uh, they turned pale, as she says. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow. So the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu started to uh, appease them and said, don't worry, uh, you're standing today that even though you angered God and even though God you know, gave you the curse, you're standing, you made it. And therefore, it's as if to say that, uh, don't worry, you'll make it, you'll exist. And it says, Hayom, uh, you are standing today just like uh, the day. What happens with the day? So the day has dark times and then it has day. So too, you went through difficult times, but the sun will always shine for you and God will uh, give you light. And God will uh, give you light in the future as well. And not only that, but the curses and the affliction actually give, sustain you. What does it mean they sustain you? And because uh, when there's affliction, people usually make teshuvah, and uh, they get closer to God. So therefore, there's a reason for the, for this. it's not that God is giving us affliction in order to, you know, take revenge against us or to hurt us. It's in order to wake us up, to bring us closer. So therefore, it, it, Moshe Rabbeinu was saying like this, as a result of the kilalot, atem tzavim, you, you stand, you have standing, you have stability because of it. The Yisunin actually are a wake-up call to bring you uh, closer to Hashem. Uh, another interpretation mm -hmm. of a is referring to that change, the change of guards now. We were going from Moshe to Yoshua. So now we're going to have the, uh, the succession of power from one leader 
to the next. And therefore, he made a, a standing assembly at Savim in order to, uh, you know, to give them uh, a commandment that uh, everybody should see this transition of power. So they were attended, you're all standing over here, so everybody should see that I'm handing over the baton of leadership to uh, Yeshua. And that was the same thing that Shemuel did when he gave it over to, um, uh, to Shaul in order that nobody can contest it. So therefore he did it in front of all of the people. Now, the Pasuk writes, that in order that we should make covenant that you will be for, for God, and he will be for you. Like he spoke to you. Like he promised to your fathers. Not only you. That is amazing. God says, I'm not only making Moshe I'm not only making the beat with you, meaning uh, company present. Uh, 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 those that are not standing uh, here today uh, as well. That means uh, this is an unbelievable covenant that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. It's with the present and with the future descendants that are not present. That means we're all bound to this covenant. So nobody can come along and say, well, listen, I wasn't there. And therefore I didn't sign up and uh, I wasn't part of this treaty. Therefore I'm not obligated. Yeah, my grandfather was there. Good luck. But I'm, uh, you know, I do my own thing. He says, no. God, Moshe Rabbeinu says that those that are here and those that are not here are all bound to the, uh, to the treaty. But now it says, Ki atem yedatem et ashed yashavnu be'eretz Mitzrayim. You know good and well uh, how you lived in Egypt for many years, but teruachik utzehem. You also saw the idolatry. Now, because we saw the idolatry, we have a disadvantage that it influences us. You know, if you never see the bad, so you don't know what it is. But if you see it, even though you know it's wrong, it's an option. People are doing it, so it makes a uh, an impression. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu had to warn them, actually make them swear that they're not going to worship Abu Dazara, only because they saw it. Now. Uh, I had a uh, great rabbi called Rav Chaim Weintraub, Shalom, and he would always tell us on this parasha a tremendous hadush. He's saying, wait, when did they see Abu Dazara in Egypt? This is 40 years after we came out of Mitzrayim. So Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, I'm worried that the influence that you saw 40 years prior might have planted a bad seed in you, and that seed will germinate into uh, rebelliousness. Now wait, 40 years ago, and not only that, what happened in those 40 years? We were in the Midbar, we heard God talk at Har Sinai, we experienced miracles, we learned Torah from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, and still, all that good that we enjoyed in the 40 years was unable to erase the influence that we've had 40 years prior. It just shows you how uh, uh, sensitive and fragile uh, influence is. It's hard, to, it's hard to get rid of it or hard to uh, undo it. He would bring a proof to this, which is a beautiful proof, that it says that when uh, Esav married his wives, so it says it caused a lot of anguish to Yitzhak and the Rivka. And the Gemara says it caused more anguish to Yitzhak than it did to Rivka. And the rabbis say because Rivka was raised in the house of Abu Dazara. So she might have been a little more, I don't want to say tolerant, but she, it didn't affect her as much. You know, she didn't hate it as much as Yitzhak did, let's say. And Rav Chaim, Shalom, used to say, hold it, let's do the math over here. How old was Rivka when she got married? So it was three years old. Okay. That was considered, let's say, uh, acceptable in those days. So she was three years old. Now, what happened? 
she didn't have children. Uh, and, and, and how wait, and how old was Yitzhak? Yitzhak was 40. Yitzhak was 40 when he got married. Now, when how old was Yitzhak when Esav was born? The Pasuk says, Yitzhak ben shishim shana otam. So Yitzhak was 60. That means Nifka was 23. Beautiful. Now, Esav got married at 40. That means Rivka was 63. That means she hasn't been in her father's house for 60 years. She didn't see the Abu Dazarab father's house. She didn't experience the bad uh, uh, um, culture of Lavan and Betuel. And still, 60 years later, it didn't bother her as much about Esab's Abu Dazara wives than it did Yitzhak. And even though she was living with the tzaddik, Yitzhak for 60 years, it still wasn't able to uh, undo completely the influence that she had uh, 60 years prior. So Rav Chaim would, would bring this as a proof about how careful one has to be on the influences uh, that he has. Here's a case over in Egypt. They saw it 40 years prior. And Moshe Rabinu says, therefore, I'm concerned that because you saw the Abu Dazaran you experienced 40 years prior, you might be uh, prone uh, to, uh, to this Abu Dazaran. Therefore, he makes him swear that they're not going to do it. As the Pasuk says, uh, So you saw their abominations, and their detestable idols, uh, the, 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 the worship the, the trees and the rocks, Kesef is a hab, asher asher imahim, and therefore pen yesh ish bachem ish or isha, lest there be a man or a lady amongst you, or mishpacha or shevet or a family or a tribe, asher lebavu pone hayom meim Hashem that his heart is turning from God, nalechet abod l'doagui imahim, lest he go to worship the idolatries of the Goyim, that maybe there's a root uh, inside of you that is rosh a root that will grow uh, and uh, grow a rebellious rebelliousness. You know? All you need is a little root uh, and that root metastasizes and gets bigger and bigger and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to you know, uh, make sure that there's no bad, uh, bad roots in uh, B'nai Yisrael. That she says, shoresh that's a, a root which grows bitter herb. That's a, a shoresh poreh is a bitter herb. Uh, that maybe uh, it's going to increase as, uh, you know, if you don't keep it in check. Moshe Rabbeinu wants to make sure. And I saw once that this shoresh, this root of uh, if you take the Rashid Tibot, Shoresh, Rosh is Otiyot Shofar. It's the same letters as Shofar. The Sheen, Shoresh, Zavav, and Pore Rosh. And they come along and say that the Shofar has the ability to uh, root out uh, the uh, bad roots that we have inside of us. Like, God forbid, it's like a, um, it's like a treatment. You have to you have to kill these cells before they metastasize. So therefore, the the, the shofar is like a treatment that is able to go into the deep recesses of the person and get rid of uh, any bad roots that the shalom are there from influences that we experience over the course of time. All right, but guess what? We did have to at this rate over here. We'll be able to finish the perasha uh, in no time. So we'll continue this bezat Hashem. Uh, tomorrow, we're <coughs> learning for the Fuash and Emma Hayasana Batsimha. We are in Kadashat Nitzabim, and we are learning it with Perushashi. Let's open it up. Oh, driving back from Muncie. Let's see. Uh, let's see where we are.
So we have over here the beginning of the Perashah Nitzavim. The that and therefore you need an extra warning not to uh, be tempted to worship the stones and the wood and the different forms of idolatry that you experienced in Mitzrayim. Even though, as we learned last night, it was 40 years ago, but a negative influence does not leave the person's brain for a long time. And the Pasuk says, You saw it. You saw these abominable things. The Torah is calling them abominable. But to the one that worships it, he makes it glamorous. Therefore, there is a chance that, God forbid, there will be inside of you what the Torah refers to as Shoresh. Shoresh is a root. And that Shoresh will be Poreh. Poreh means it will flourish. When you leave a, a, a cell that's sick and you don't get rid of it, it metastasizes. And therefore, that Shoresh will be Poreh. It'll flourish. And it'll become... Rosh Vila'ana, to become a poisonous and a bitter, a, a bitter uh, herb inside the person. So that's what we left off last night. And now the Torah comes along and says, Behaya, and it'll be. We're in Basuk Yudchet. When the person is going to hear, this curse that God is giving, the curse of punishments that we just said in last week's Perasha. If you remember in last week's Perasha, there was over nine or 98 curses to be exact. That's besides the 49 curses in Parashat Behokotai. So the Torah predicts that there's going to be a reaction to these curses. And it's an unlikely reaction because normally when you hear the curses of God, it makes a person fearful and want to make teshuvah and repent. But the Torah predicts, The person is going to uh, think in his heart that I have nothing to worry about. Shalom Yehiyeli. Shalom Yehiyeli means everything will be okay. Ki bishrirut libi elech. Now, the word bishrirut means as I see it. I will do as I see. Where do we see the word bishrirut means to see? The word tashuri or ashurenu, like we see by Bil'ab refers to seeing. So the Pasuk is saying, I'm not worried about the uh, the curses. I will continue to do and live as I see it, as I want. And then the Pasuk says, Now this is uh, difficult words. Literally it means, the English explains it, thereby adding water upon the third. What does that got to do with anything? The man sefot is the uh, the water, the one that's satiated, that's quenched, and semea is the one that is thirsty. So what is the what is the explanation? So that she comes along and he explains it. As follows. When a person does an abera, there's two ways to commit a sin. One way to commit a sin is uh, forced. He doesn't mean to do it 
Unintentional. God can forgive the unintentionally. It's done the not under duress, but out of lust and pleasure. So that she writes that these two type of sins are are represented in the two words rave and semea. Rave is somebody that is drinking. Now, what happens when a person drinks an intoxicating beverage? He gets drunk. He's rabbis. He's quenched. But you can't hold him responsible when he does things when he's drunk because he doesn't have his brain. So, therefore, God says, I can forgive a person for when he commits sins in the rava state. But the problem is that these people are now committing sins when they're not thirsty or when they're not inebriated. When they're thirsty, which means now they're doing it out of, out of lust. That she says, And therefore God says, I'm going to punish them for all their sins, not only for their intentional sins that they do lustfully, but even for the sins that they did unintentionally. Because now, they come along and say, oh, it's not going to happen to me, all these curses. I'll be protected. And whatever the reason that causes them to have this uh, full sense of security that they're going to be protected, but God says, it's only going to cause me to become more angry. God says, I will not will to forgive these people. I gave them Musar and they just brushed it away. The smoke will come out of God. That's a, that's a parable. Obviously, there's no smoke coming out, but that's where we get the statement that when a person's angry, they say, well, there's smoke coming out of his ears, but there's smoke coming out of his nose. He's, uh, you know, all enraged. So God says, the smoke will come out and I will uh, come along and attack that person. And it'll land on him. All the curses that are written in this book will land on him. And God will erase his name from the heaven. So that is a um, obviously a wrong approach that when one hears rebuke, especially from Moshe and from God, to come along and dismiss it and say, uh, he's not talking to me. That's what happens a lot of times when the people go to the rabbi's sermon and uh, what do the people say? What was he talking about? Usually that's exactly the person the rabbi was talking to. And the guy wants to know, who was he talking about? He went right over his head. People always think that the rabbi's sermon is talking to somebody else. Therefore, the person always has to say, Maybe the rabbi was talking to me, and therefore I have to make the adjustments. But if the Musar falls on deaf ears, so not only doesn't he get the message, but the Torah is predicting that it's only going to get worse. Because if you don't hear, then Hashem has to higher the volume until the person finally gets the message. So it's not only that God's being vindictive. It's that, that since he doesn't hear it, doesn't think it's going to apply, so the message has to come closer to home in order for the person to finally, to finally get it. All right, we'll take a uh, short night tonight because we're in the car. But again, we didn't want to stop the class. The show must go on. Say again, And we are up to... Um, uh, so God called uh, Moshe Rabbeinu called the people uh, and he said to them you saw you saw all that God did 
in front of your eyes the miracles, the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, and to all the servants and to all his people. The Pasuk you saw the great miracles that your eyes saw, all the plagues. God not give you a heart to understand the and eyes to see the ears to listen until today. Now, what does that mean? They saw these things forty years ago. Ben was saying it took you forty years to finally understand it, and for these miracles to seep in, so that she says. Shamati um, uh, It says that on this day, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote a special Sefer Torah, and he presented it to the tribe of Levi. And all the Jewish people came to Moshe, and they said, Moshe, we also stood at Har Sinai, and we also got the Torah, and Hashem gave us the Torah. Why are you only giving a Sefer Torah to your tribe. Tomorrow the tribe of Levi will say, Torah wasn't given to you, it was only given to us. And that's not so. So Moshe Rabbeinu was so happy to hear that reaction. So Moshe Rabbeinu told the people, today you have become a nation. Because now I see that you understand how important it is to be attached to the Torah and the Mitzvot. When, when the Torah was given, B'nai Yisrael didn't appreciate it as much. It was a burden. Hashem had to take the mountain and put it over their heads to force them. But 40 years later, they said, Moshe, the Torah is given to all of us. Why are you just giving Levi a, a separate Torah? When Moshe heard that attitude, he understood that now the people understand that the Torah is not a liability, God forbid. Torah is not a burden. Torah is a privilege. And therefore he said, now I see today you finally understand the value of what does it mean to have the Torah, to have its, to have its laws. That's why it says, until this day, and until I heard your reaction uh, to be uh, uh, to wanting to have a separate Torah of your own and not just Shemit Levi, that already indicates to me that your understanding is now is much deeper. I traveled with you 40 years in the desert. Your clothes did not wear out from you. Their clothes remained, you know, uh, perfectly intact. And the shoes did not wear out either. They did not, um, they did not ruin. You didn't eat uh, regular bread. You didn't drink wine or Beverages, regular. You knew that only God is the one that was sustaining you. And you came to this place, which is the Midbar, the border of Israel. And all of a sudden, the king, Sihon, it's a nation, the king of the nation of Hezbon, of the city of Hezbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, they came to fight us. And she says, Now you see yourself in glory. You beat all these big nations, you beat the giants. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Don't let it get to your head. Don't become arrogant and now come and kick God away. And therefore, you must keep the covenant of the Torah. Another explanation, as she says, a big hadush, that it takes 40 years for a person to understand what his rabbi is talking about. When you learn something, it doesn't seep in until 40 years. It's a big hadush. You think you understood it the first day, it takes a lot of time to understand exactly what the rabbi's intention and what he means. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, until now, I cannot hold you responsible because I know you didn't understand me fully. But now that the 40 years are up, it seeped in, and now you're understanding me clearly. Now you're going to be held liable if you don't follow the precepts and the concepts that you were taught.
וניקח את ארצם, וניתנה לנחלה, those lands that we conquered on the other side of the Jordan were actually divided to three, two and a half tribes, to Reuven, to Gad, and half of the tribe of Menasheh. Finally, Moshe says, you must keep this covenant, the laws, and fulfill the mitzvot, in order that you will become uh, successful and, and wise, and everything that you do. Let's pasuk at well, that's that's uh, that's that's those pasukim. Okay, we'll stop over here. Tomorrow night, Bezat Hashem will continue. That's the first shema. Hayasara bat simcha. Thank you, Rabbi. I say that I am very tired. That's. Uh, Normal. I go to sleep tired, I wake up tired. Don't forget that. So now we have uh, Parashat Nitzavim. And we're learning the Parashat for the Fuashirimah And we are up to uh, we're going to start From Pasuk 28. Which literally means the hidden things of Hashem, God, and the revealed things are for us and our children forever in order for us to carry out the words of the Torah. Now what is this talking about? So that she says the hidden things of Hashem. And if you will say, what are we able to do? God punishes the people. If, a, if an individual has sinful thoughts, so then not only does the person who has the sinful thoughts get punished, but God punishes Everybody, that's why it says the hidden sins God knows about. But we're responsible for all the people. So therefore, when one person gets a sin that God knows about, and only God knows about because it's a thought, he had a bad thought. So therefore, we all get punished. That's talking about having bad thoughts. So when they will see the plague of the land, which implies that the entire land will suffer. So that she says, How can we be punished for something that we don't even know about? Which means all Jews are responsible for one another. So if you see something, you have to say something. If you see a Jew committing a sin, you have to say something and stop him because you're going to be liable for that sin. That's the famous mashal of somebody that was on a boat and he was uh, drilling a hole in his cabin. So somebody knocked on the door and said, hey, stop doing that. He told hey, mind your own business. He said, well, this is, this is my business because if you drill a hole in your cabin, I'm going to sink with you. And therefore, it is our responsibility to stop people from making sins. And they can't say, hey, mind your business. No, it is my business because I'm going to get punished. But now we're talking about somebody that has a bad thought. Now, how am I supposed to stop a person if I don't even know what he's thinking? Is it punish or sakanas? No, God punishes the, the nation for the sins of the individuals. Why? Because they didn't rebuke him. They had the ability to stop them. So by, by keeping silent, you're sanctioning it. Fine, but she's talking about now a case where a person had bad thoughts. Now, how can I stop a guy from having bad thoughts? I don't know what he's thinking. So that, and that's called Nistarot, Nistarot are the hidden ones. So the, the Rashid comes along and says, en ani nistarot. God will not punish us for the hidden sins. The hidden sins belong to Hashem. That's what the Pasuk is saying. But we are going to be responsible for the revealed sins. Why? Because we have to destroy the evil from our midst. 
If we don't carry out judgment against the people that violate the Torah, so God then punishes the uh, the many for the sins of the individuals. If again, if we are uh, lackadaisical in our responsibility to punish them. Now, if you look at you, I don't know if you have a homash in front of you, but you'll notice that on the words lanu ulbanenu, there's dots on top of the letters. And if you look at the Sepetura also, you'll notice that there's dots. Now those dots come and uh, tell you that you have to learn these words uh, in, a, uh, in a different way. So that she says, it's coming to teach us that right. the people were not responsible for each other's sins only until they went into Eretz Yisrael and crossed the Jordan River. So therefore, it was a delay. It's only after they accepted upon themselves in this week's perasha um, liability for each other. There's a famous rabbinical saying that says, Kol Yisrael arivim All the Jewish people are responsible for each other. Responsible means religiously responsible. That if somebody is doing something wrong uh, and you have the ability to stop them and you don't, so therefore, you're going to be held liable for that sin because you had a chance to uh, stop them. Now that law of liability only applies when we came into Eretz Yisrael. That's why there's dots there to say that it was suspended temporarily until we got into Eretz Yisrael. Now the pasuk says in Pentecost, when all these things that I told you in last week's parasha will come upon you, the blessings and the curses, God forbid, you will make Teshuvah, even though you're living amongst the Guim, that God sent you away. You'll make Teshuvah. And then since you're going to return to God by making Teshuvah, and you will listen to His words when you learn Torah, like I'm commanding you today, you and your children, all your heart and soul. This means that God, when he sees that you return to him, he will return all the uh, captivities uh, that are in, uh, in different lands. And uh, it's as if to say that not only is God going to take the captivities that are in cap- uh, taken into captivity, but the pasukah is, God himself will return because the Shekinah also is in exile. So therefore, the Shekinah also will uh, come to rest in Eretz Yisrael, and God joins us in our hardship of exile. And when we are redeemed, the Shekinah comes with them as well. So that's the name is that. The day that God's going to bring the exiles back, it's going to be a great day. But it's going to come with great difficulty. As if God has to hold every person's hand in order to pull him out of the exile. It says in the Pasuk, that's if God, so to speak, is going to have to uh, you know, pull us out of the exile. One explanation is he's going to have to pull us out because nobody's going to want to leave. Everybody's comfortable. Therefore, you know, people have their businesses, people have their homes. Now God's going to say, okay, everybody move to Eretz Yisrael. You're going to say, what do you mean? I, say, I, might, I just built a house. I just renovated. I just got a new rug. I just expand, extended. Now I got to move to Israel. I don't want to give up my whole house. So therefore God's going to have to pull us by the hand, so to speak, in order to bring us back to Eretz Yisrael. So that's, uh, that's that over there. God is going to place all these oaths on you. Uh, and as a result, God's going to punish that all the curses that God gave you, if we keep the Torah, the curses will go on our enemies. You'll make Teshuvah. You'll fulfill the word of God. You'll do all the mitzvot. 
Hashem Elohim Zamecha Yom, Vehoti Lecha Hashem Elohecha, and God will make you uh, abundant. Echol Maasei Adecha, with all your and all your handiwork, meaning what comes from you. That means your children. You'll have a lot of your animals, the fruit of the field, the tovah. Ki Yashuv Hashem, God will return. La Sus Alecha to rejoice over you. The top for the best. Like he did to your fathers. When you listen to the word of God, all the different type of laws that are written in the Sefer Torah, when you return to God, with all your heart and soul. Finally, this mitzvah that I'm commanding you today, it's not, it's not far from you. Who it is not concealed from you. It's not far. It's not in the heavens. Because as she says, if it was in the heavens, then you'd have to go up and get it. That's how important the mitzvah uh, of Teshuvah is. And it is not in the heavens that you have to say, and then they'll teach it to us. It's not overseas. That you have to say, who's going to cross the, the ocean to bring it to us. Where is it? The Mitzvah of Teshuvah is close to you. And the Mitzvah of studying of Torah is close to you. Very close to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. But she says, Obviously the Torah that's written in, 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 or written and Malpeh. That's what it says, Beficha. Beficha means the Torah Shemalpeh, the oral the tradition. All right, Abotai. Abotai. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.